Clarita here, and I've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. If you want to release your music into the world, DistroKid's the easiest way to get your music into all the major streaming platforms, unlimited uploads, and keep 100% of your royalties. And because you're a Design Freaks listener, you get 30% off. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash Design Freaks. DistroKid. podcast. Hi, uh, my name's Clarita. Welcome to Design Freaks, aka Children of the Kern. <laughs> Welcome, Children of the Kern. That's who you are, the listeners. And uh, just uh, in case you haven't heard it before, this is episode two, and we're a show about graphic arts in the music business, um, because we decide what great design is, not corporations. And then they follow our lead as artists, not the other way around. Welcome to my TED Talk. Thanks for those of you who subscribed on iTunes and really appreciate it. Um, if you haven't, please subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. It really helps. Um, I can't even like see the ratings yet because I don't have enough. So it'd be awesome if you could do it. Um, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Design Freaks Podcast. Um, and Basically, designfreakspodcast.com is the place where you can go for everything. Um, questions and suggestions, if you want to email me a funny story about design, um, I promise you I will read it. Um, or like a freelancing horror story, anything you want. Um, or if you want to hit the donate button on the about page, that would be great. I am now going to introduce my guest... He is a friend of mine. We are a Seattle-based podcast, um, so I'm going to be talking to Seattle creatives. And he is an artist. He is a designer, professional writer, and a parlor trick performer. Travis Ritter. Hello. <laughs> yes. Hi. I get the air horn. <laughs> called rasta horn on my effects thing Uh, anyway hi hi thank you for being here pleasure yes so we're unknown (laughs) it is an unknown pleasure to be here thank you um it's election night it's really exciting we've been watching the election results rolling in we recorded this on tuesday the 6th so it's kind of a weird day to record a podcast about a british dude but 
we're also talking about other stuff that we love and um everything's political anyway so i think it i think Mm -hmm. it fits yeah i think it's okay yeah um so travis you recently had an art show where you repurposed another art piece and you created a kaleidoscope can you tell us a little bit about that it's really exciting. Um, yeah, I was um, asked to be involved in this all kind of forward-going uh, evolutionary art show where it started with one piece. It was handed off to another. It was given back, cut up, and then pushed forward to another artist to reinterpret. And... Um, Sean Cardinal was the organizer of this, and he um, essentially cut all of the, created these sculptures and flat mosaic kind of collage with uh, interlocking pieces. And so, looking at at, at the piece, uh, I saw kind of that. I was looking at the outside and then I wanted to look in to see the writing on the inside. Yes. And so I just working in collage, everything's is kind of loose until it's actually like glued down. Like that's the one thing that I really love to do. Yeah. And so it's so fixed that this was, um, I suppose, uh, a way to unfix it. And yeah. just let it let it kind of interpret it itself, and so it kind of was very serendipitous when I went into the creation of it. I was working with crystals in my windows, and it was oh. kind of um, uh, basically dying or fading the uh, prison or the the sculpture that I had sitting in my window. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know that was a part of it. So. So you started with Sean's piece, mm-hmm. Sean Cardinal. Can we just give a shout out to Sean uh, of Civilization? Shout out, Sean. What's Love up? You, buddy. <laughs> um, Civilization is our like pride and joy here in Seattle. They're so amazing, and he creates these. Um, they just cut... won the Hewitt or the Cooper Hewitt. Presented to them by Friendly Woods. Friendly Woods. Very, very cool. And so his, so everyone who works there is also an artist, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And so he does these paper cutouts. He also works with string, um, incorporating string into like postcards. Yeah. Is that what he does? So you took his piece that was sort of cut up pieces of uh, cardstock. It was vintage postcards. Vintage postcards but- cut and fit together into a 3D object, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was, and um, on each on the back of each piece, there was a piece of writing um, that was done by uh, Colleen Berry, who mm-hmm. runs uh, Mount Analog, which is this poetry press, small press, and mm-hmm. they do a lot of, <clears throat> pardon me, installations and just a. She's a really, really enigmatic person in Mm. Seattle. So, yeah. So it was like kind of interpreting that. And so going into the kaleidoscope thing, I was just like, well, this is how I can present the words that I see. Because I want to see the words talking to the images themselves, which are full of very rich color. 
and I figured out that like okay transparencies is a way to create light to come into the backside so where can people see your work um where can they see can is there like your instagram a gallery somewhere yeah my i'm really terrible with website stuff and it's been this ongoing struggle to even bother with it but most everything is somehow documented um on my instagram compass ruler compass ruler yeah well that's where people can go see your stuff thanks and of course, um, what else did I want to ask you about? Do you want to talk about your parlor trick? <laughs> I'm degrading um, the conversation. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it was actually, it's been come up in conversation a number of times since this reoccurred. Um, I eat cereal out of my chest. <laughs> you um, heard it here, folks. <laughs> Wait, where's the air horn? <laughs> I'm ready for it. Um, yeah, so I have a curved sternum, and it sinks in my chest and gives me a fake cleavage. So wait, is so is curved sternum? That's something that's that's, that's the sternum of my rib cage is actually curved in, so it's pressed closer to all of my organs. How common is that? Do you know? It's not very common, but I know people that have like smaller indentions and. Well, is there anything else you want to um, talk about, promote? You're also a DJ. I forgot to mention that. I almost said idiot savart. (laughs) (laughs) That is perfect. I love it. (laughs) So you, um, I didn't realize until recently I saw a post that you've been spelling your name backwards since you were a kid. Yes. How did that start? Why did you... Because it's an actual word either way. So Yeah. Okay. I, when I was a kid, I liked to do things forwards and backwards. Ah. Yeah. So I would I would write sometimes with my right hand and then mm-hmm. write with my left hand to the other way. Ambidext. Wait, at the Points. same time with two different pens? No, I would do it different. I would... Okay. Yeah. Not impressed anymore. <laughs> I can't, I mean, like, I still sometimes, like, do these, like, just trying to keep when I'm yeah. just, like, sketching or just doodling in my journal. What if you had two spirographs, one for each hand? You know what that is? Yeah, I love yeah. spirographs. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that soon. Okay. Spirograph challenge. Okay. Both hands. Um, so I guess we should get into the, I mean, unless we want to talk about politics, because... It is election night. I don't know. Should we talk about it? I feel like once you talk about that type of thing that ages so quickly, mm-hmm. it just sounds so dated when I listen to it. Even like the Daily podcast, the New York Times Daily, at the end of the day is old. I Things think have already changed. Patton Oswald calls this administration uh, sour cream in a sauna. <laughs> you can't even joke about it because by the time you get the joke out uh, or make observations about it we've all learned so many other Mm. new or horrifying things so i don't know looks like the democrats are going to take the house Um, a lot of women and women of color um are being elected to congress which is very exciting today's deep dive insert music here Free, 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 free
leave a little blank spot. <laughs> I have the Ononos music I insert there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so today's deep dive is a person who... Okay, so this podcast is supposed to be dedicated to the unsung heroes, right? This person's won countless design awards. He's very famous in the UK. He's famous here to a certain group, but I feel like with the younger designers and with people who, you know, maybe a younger generation may have seen this image a zillion times and you just don't know the story behind it and that's kind of what we're doing here. We're going to fill you in on Peter Seville. (laughs) Jesus. So, Peter Seville is the graphic designer who worked for Factory Records. He designed the very famous Joy Division album cover, Unknown Pleasures. Um, I'm sure you've already seen the the iTunes uh, notes or and or the um, Instagram photos I'm going to put up. So you pretty much know the image I'm talking about, but it basically looks like sound waves, white on black. And, um, like, kind of layered up sound waves. So he also did a bunch of other album covers for Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Maneuvers. <laughs> um, New Order. To name a few. Travis, do you... Section 25. Exactly. Looking from a hilltop. Yeah. It's the only song I know. Really? Yeah. I, I uh, never got into them. I will. Tonight. From the hip. All right. So um, his story is pretty cool. I mean, I, I research this stuff, and if there's really nothing there, then there's nothing there. But I really like his story because he's like a reluctant success. And uh, he's really amazed by how far that image has gone. Um, anyway, so I'm going to take it from the top. So I am going to be referencing a little bit of Wikipedia and a couple of articles and a YouTube interview. So, um, Peter Seville was born in Manchester, Lancashire. Uh, and then every bio I read was like, he was born in 1955 and this is the college he went to. Zero on his childhood. (laughs) So, well to do. I think he was, you know, didn't have a remarkable upbringing. It's just... He went to school for graphic design at Manchester Poly... How do I say this? Polytechnic. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah, that's poly- Or is it technique? Polytechnic. Polytechnic. Yeah. From 1975 to 1978. So he he was influenced, and he went to school with some other really great designers. Um, one of them was Malcolm Garrett, who was the designer for the Buzzcocks. And he was influenced by Malcolm Um, He also got exposed to Herbert Spencer's book, Pioneers of Modern Typography, and uh, that's where he discovered Jan Chickold. And Jan Chickold, um, he has a lot of different uh, titles. Um, This Wikipedia calls him Chief Propagandist for the New Typography. Um, And just to take a little veer off, into Jan Chickhold land. And by the way, his name is spelled crazy. So if you're trying to look this up, it's spelled T-S-C-H-I-C-H-O-L-D. And I did a presentation on him in design school and I had to look it up 
on the uh, Google Translate that pronounces it for you. Oh wow! What it, so? What what did it sound like? Jan Chickold. <laughs> and I had no idea. I mean, it looks. Yeah, he ended up designing books for Penguin Books. Very cool career. He was a calligrapher, a typographer, and a book designer for Penguin in the decade following World War II. Um, so his visual identity of Penguin Books served as a model for the burgeoning design of practice, design practice of planning corporate identity programs. Blah blah blah. Um, he designed the typeface Saban. It's a serif typeface. Oh, he was converted to a modernist, so he visited the Weimar Bauhaus exhibition, and it changed his life. And he was like, I'm a modernist now. And um, this is kind of leading up to the election of Hitler, which is where his life took a serious turn. And that's, I kind of wanted to veer off into this area because... The whole fascist thing right now just feels mm-hmm. relevant to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, being an artist under a fascist regime. So after the election of Hitler in Germany, all designers had to register with the Ministry of Culture. <laughs> and all teaching posts were threatened for anyone who was sympathetic to communism. Um, soon after, Chickhold had taken up teaching a teaching post in Munich at the behest of Paul Renner. He desi- he's the guy who designed the Futura typeface. You may have heard of it. Um, uh, they were both denounced as cultural Bolshevists. So 10 days after the Nazis surged to power in, uh, in 1933, Chickhold and his wife were arrested. Um, and during that arrest, Soviet posters were found in his apartment. And um, so they were like, this guy's done. Um all copies of his books were seized by the Gestapo. Uh, in qu- this is in quotes for the protection of the German people. Um, after six weeks, a policeman somehow. Okay, this is really weird. This it just sums. I'm which I'm sure is like a crazy adventure, but it just says after six weeks, a policeman somehow found him tickets for Switzerland, and he and his family managed to escape Nazi Germany in August '33. So. This is the guy that Peter Seville was, like, you know, learning about and looking up to. And if you look up um, his posters, it's like, oh, very, very, like, modern Swiss. Used mm-hmm. the grid, did the diagonal thing a bunch. Yeah, you, you definitely recognize. We're going to go straight to, we're going to go to modern times where, did you know that Peter Seville became involved in fashion design? Um... Only with weird collaborations. Yes, collaborations. Yes. You're right. Yeah. So sort of a fashion designer. Um, so this is from the... I really like this article. Um, it's by Alexis Pedretis, and it's from The Guardian. It's from 2013, but it's right when he won the London Design Medal. So they were, like, uh, interviewing him for this, you know, in reaction to him winning this award, and he's, like, kind of bummed out. It says, the award uh, brings with it a lot of attention. I thought they were just going to give me a medal, he sighs. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing here? Uh, so that's when he was working with Yoji Yamamoto. Oh, wow. Yo- yeah, Yoji, for, is that Yeah. Right. Um, who started out as a lawyer, or actually went to law school, ended up helping his mother, who was a dressmaker. 
I'm full of facts. Um, so he collaborated. That was one of his collaborations. And then... I remember that. What year was yeah, that? Yeah, 2013. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And so he basically used typography and put, like, uh, phrases like, quote, meaningless excitement. <laughs> and uh, for further advice, please contact our fashion advisors. It's it's like it's like subverting what it is, yeah. you know, like with like a high ticket value, right? You know, pretty much just yeah. I don't know what to think about that, but Yamamoto wasn't offended. Yeah, so he was like all about it. Um, I mean, half the, half the things you see in fashion anyway are just random words thrown together with no significant meaning. There can there can be a single word or just a series of words that have no sort of contextually relative. Mm-hmm. Right, and maybe it's a examination of language itself, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit more about that here. I don't know if I want to really stay on the fashion thing, but uh, okay. So it says here. He never really wanted to be a graphic designer in the first place, which I don't know. I think this guy who wrote this article was like taking liberties mm. and a little bit kind of like injecting his own editorial opinion a little bit. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, in any case, he's sort of retired or disengaged from graphic design. Um, he's apparently mortified by its commercial aspects. And it's, he, Peter Seville says in this interview, I remember sitting in a meeting and there was an impasse and the man at the head of the table said, relax, we're all just here to make money. And he says, actually, I'm not here to make money. I'm here to try and make something better. The idea that people are only doing things to make money and actually there are no values in it whatsoever will adopt whatever position is necessary for that goal. That has nothing to do with what I ever did. So he's... Pretty much turning his nose up to commercialism. Um, And then Seville also says of the retrospective show at Design Museum in 2013, at the Design Museum, he says he put a piece on the wall that said, be careful what you wish for, and closed his studio. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of stuff about how he's just... So is he totally retired now? I think he's doing those collaborations, and we'll go into the... He rebranded Burberry oh. and Calvin Klein recently. Yeah, yeah. So, um, sort of. I think he's just doing... He want, He's picking and choosing mm-hmm. in the fashion world who he wants to design for. Yeah. Um, so, here we're going to go back in time to when he started at Factory Records. So, can we make some back in time, like Wayne's World... 1978. Mm. 1978. Um, So his problems really began the moment he approached Tony Wilson at a Patti Smith concert in 1978. So Tony Wilson was in the process of starting Factory Records, and Seville had been intrigued by certain records, or by record sleeves he'd seen. Um especially Kraftwerk's Autobahn. Mm -hmm. That really made him want to do that for a living. Um, And then 
So he starts, he actually is, I think he's the co-founder of Factory with Tony Wilson. Mm -hmm. And it says here that Factory just spoiled him rotten. And it's because Tony Wilson was rich AF. Like, he had a job in broadcasting. He did not, this was his passion project. He just had it on the side. Yeah. Like, ooh, I like albums. I like band. I like musicians. I like... Yeah. Um, so nobody had any pressure. There were no bosses. No one answered to anyone. Um, there were no stakeholders, really. Um, and he says here... Uh, sorry, Peter Seville says, It wasn't a company. It was an autonomous opportunity that just occurred for us in Manchester, manifested by Tony. <laughs> so... Um, he also says it, it's what you would call a folly, a collection of individuals doing exactly what they felt. No one was answerable to anyone. Um, and then this he says about Joy Division, which I'm not really sure if this is a direct quote. Because we, Travis and I just watched this um, short YouTube that I'm going to post a link to on the website. But basically, um, in that interview, he says the band did come to him with this idea for Unknown Pleasures, and he was sort of following their instructions. Here, in this article, it says, the bands never told him what to design. Joy Division were too busy trying to work out how to play their instruments, and when they regrouped after Curtis's death, New Order were too busy arguing with each other. Uh... Shade much? <laughs> I Maybe I shouldn't wow. even be repeating fake news, but... I just thought that was weird. Like, I wonder, because Joy Division That's really speculative, and they could play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they very much could play. They were pretty good. I don't know. Um, People will talk about Peter Hook's bass in the beginning. That's true. <laughs> but that's true. Peter Hook has some great interviews yeah. on YouTube as well. Yeah, I recommend. He's funny too. Um, so it says here. He, he says I was left to my own devices, and it turned out. That I had my own agenda. In no other circumstances would that happen. If I'd gone into any other kind of design practice, forget it. Um, so he's basically already kind of has a great privileged upbringing. And mm -hmm. then he stumbles into this dream job where he's but very um, capable at. Mm -hmm. He's like doing amazing things with it. Um but creating yeah. an identity for this band or this label, this movement of things that were happening in Manchester. Exactly, um, and I actually I can't, I love the factory logo too. Yeah, it's so simple with that little wave. I mm -hmm. wonder who I can't f find who designed it because if you look up factory and logo, it just goes to Peter Seville. So maybe he designed it. Possibly. If anybody knows, tweet at me. Um, pick up your phone and yell into it. Um, it left him hopelessly unprepared for the realities of life outside factory gates. <laughs> um, so basically, he didn't just inherit Wilson's idealism, so he looked up to Wilson, but he also inherited his legendarily appalling business sense. He was not a good businessman. Um, in 1986, Seville could command $20,000 to design an album cover. So that's what he got from Peter Gabriel for wow. that. Which is basically, isn't it just a photo of Peter Gabriel and the word so? Is yeah. it that album? I wonder. I didn't look that up. 
Um, but that was from 1986. That may have been the last album he designed oh, of that era. Yeah, so, 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 so. So, yeah. it's like kind of... Um, it's really stark. Very but, black I mean, and it's, white. I mean, it's just like the kind of brother copy to Low Life by okay. New Order. Where, like, they both are in that same time. Right. Very, like, uh, minimal. Yeah. Um... So he got $20,000 for that Peter Gabriel cover, but three years later he was bankrupt, virtually bankrupt. Um, Now I don't believe anything this guy says. (laughs) (laughs) This could all be fake. No, I think it's um, a tall tale of what happened. Yeah. A little bit exaggerated. Um, So an attempt to join a more standard graphic design agency went, as you might expect, (laughs) given Seville's aversion to commerce and being told what to do and, indeed, deadlines. So he tried to start a multimedia practice in L.A. in 1993. That was a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, he That lasted a couple of months, and he found himself so broke. He was basically at that time in L.A. going to visit record labels and asking if they had promo copies so he could go sell them. Yeah. So, been there. <laughs> we are not Peter Seville. Uh, can you imagine just putting that stack down? Yeah, just being like no. twenty thousand, please. That's how much I need. <laughs> uh, so maybe he didn't have a wealthy family. I don't know. I can't. I couldn't find anything. Um, so he said he had three dollars the day of the earthquake in nineteen ninety four of the L A earthquake. Oh, the Northridge one. Yeah. yeah, he said that was all the money he had and he basically had to borrow twenty dollars every day just to live to get gas to drive around to try to make money you know what i mean like he was just trying to drum up business and oh jeez. um he said friends would make you wait all day for twenty dollars um he said it was good for him he found out what it meant to have no money i guess he had never been poor before um So anyway, he's like, screw this, I'm done with L.A. He goes back to Britain, and right then, that was the best time to do it because right then it was like that 90s Britpop phase started Mm -hmm. happening where there's this huge, like, reverence for the past. And, like, um, he started getting offers to design for Suede and Pulp. Mm Mm-hmm. and I think, was it the Pulp album cover that's just the four letters? He kind of, like, embellished the letters. Yeah, They're they had, like, of, a bunch of, like, filigree. Yes, and, yeah. filigree in them. Mm-hmm. So that's that era. So he kind of had a comeback with design. Sort of a little second renaissance. But this was also a time of extreme commercialization. So in 2010, the cover of Power, Corruption, and Lies, um, New Order... Um, is that that's the one with the cherub, correct? No, the flowers. That's the flowers. Flowers. And the little colored node. Right. So that made its way onto a first class stamp. And um, then he starts being horrified by, uh, he says, you see them used to sell air miles. You see text message minutes. I guess back then you would, oh. or maybe in England they pay for stuff with stamps. I don't know. Um, he mentions, in quotes, the total car crash catalog of disasters 
That was Disney's attempt to market a t-shirt with Joy Division's <laughs> Unknown Pleasures cover turned into Mickey Mouse's head. Ugh. He shows me a t-shirt featuring the same image with the slogan. You know this slogan. Let's say it together. What is this? I, I saw, saw it on, on Tumblr. Tumblr. <laughs> and then Peter Seville says, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, and he's smiling and he says it's profoundly clever. So he got a kick out of making fun of, I guess, it, you know, it got adopted and turned into a million things and then sort of turned in on itself. Yeah. I mean, it was parodied. There's like a friend of mine had a shirt that it was basically just looked like a guy laying on in a bed, mm-hmm. but he had a boner. <laughs> Oh, I've seen that. With just, like, the little head poking out on top. And so it was just, like, where his feet were and where the positioning of the little pulsar readings. It looked like a boner. Brilliant. (laughs) That's a good use. I I can picture it in my mind. Um, (laughs) Not boners in general, but that... Just a a cartoony, like, completely childish... Yeah. I also love the exact opposite, the um, 3D, like the really futuristic looking 3D renderings. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I guess people ha- actually print those out and I don't know what it would be, like a desk item, <laughs> a decorative uh, desk item. It's my mantelpiece. It's my uh, Thanksgiving centerpiece. <laughs> He worked with Calvin Klein. Okay, so these are the newest things he's doing. So back, we're back in the... Thank you. So now we're back, current era, and uh, he worked with Calvin Klein's creative director, Raph Simons, to subtly rework the fashion's la- fashion label's logo, which it says here he replaced it with all caps and kerned the letters closer together, but it's actually a different typeface because you can see that this the letter C is different. I'll pull this up so you can look at it, and we'll describe. I was what just we're... I was just writing in about Calvin Klein today. Really? Yeah. Should we say where you work or no? That's fine. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll keep it off. Okay. So this is I work the original in the fashion industry. In fashion, that's why this is so appropriate. The subject matter. Um, so this is the original Calvin. Look at how open the C is. And if you're listening, Google Calvin Klein logo uh, rebrand. Um, the first one is um, you see the X height is pretty high. You got that super open C. And then this yeah. C is much more closed up. The X height is lower and it looks like ITC avant garde gothic to me. I don't know. Is it? It's a totally different font. Different, yeah. It's a totally different font. Yeah. So. And it is kerned differently, but yeah. I mean, look at the difference. The C's, the C's close in so much more. Yeah, and the K, see where the K um, mm-hmm. arm or arm and leg—that's what I'm going to call it. It's much different. Oh. Um, so anyway, fake news, calling it out. <laughs> um, welcome to pedantic hour. <laughs> We're back 
We just took a little potty break. Um, looks like the Democrats um, have control of the House. So that happened. <laughs> we're, we're celebrating with our little tiny uh, Presto sparkling rosé cans. Oh, it's delicious. It's and so it's, good. it's such a darling little can. I know. It's got a little nice texture to this it. This podcast is sponsored by Presto sparkling <laughs> rosé. How refreshing... Presto today. Democrats. Brought to you by Democrats. Okay. <laughs> uh, so basically, we just went through Peter Seville's kind of depressing, not depressing. He accomplished a lot. We, some of our favorite records, in fact. And I didn't find any information about his affinity for die cuts. Mm. For all the intricate, like, yeah. why was he so into that? I don't know. And I was actually wondering the same thing. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it is something to think about. It's kind of like one of his signatures. Well, I mean, it's also a thing that, oh, you know, nearly bankrupted factory. Yeah. Just with the, the most expensive single. But it was also such a successful single, too, that it was able to, like, it almost buried which, them. Which... The Blue Monday, ah, the the computer disc. What do you know about that? Tell me that story. Um, as far as I, I mean, I just know that there was, you know, with the detail of like, there was like little notches on the side to match the five and a quarter floppy disk. Ah, to a computer, and so then he had, so he had those like special side notches, and then there was mm-hmm. like the computer the actual disc part right here in the center mm-hmm. and it just you know it's too expensive it was just really expensive to manufacture that whoa and they like i guess you know pressed a bunch and mm-hmm. but yeah i mean it, his ideas were so cool and i'm glad he did it yeah um so travis brought some records with him and <clears throat> one of them is the dazzle ships record Gatefold, of course, um, which uh, sort of features some of the die cutting that we're talking about. Where uh, look up if you don't own this record, look up Dazzle Ships Gatefold or OMD because it's an OMD record. And then um, I want to kind of go into the backstory of this album cover for those of you who don't aren't familiar with Dazzle um, and talk a little bit about the painting that inspired it. The album was released March 4th, 1983. Um, He had seen the painting called Dazzle Ships in Dry Dock at Liverpool. Um, This is a painting from 1919 by the painter Edward Wadsworth. (laughs) Peter Seville had seen the painting Dazzle Ships in Dry Dock at Liverpool. Painted in 1919 by the painter Edward Wadsworth III. I just added the third. Um, (laughs) So this guy, Edward Wadsworth, had worked... He was a dazzle ship painter. Like, he painted the ships themselves. So... um, In World War I, World War I. So this is brilliant. So the British had an idea, like, look, we can't disguise our ships. We can't, like... um, No one's going to be like... What's that over there? 
There's, a, you know, and obviously you can't hide a ship in the water. So they did what's, what was called disruptive camouflage. Um, it's to confuse the enemy as to their exact size and distance. Hmm. And to, to trick the... Um, create an illusion. Create an illusion and maybe even, like, was, it, was this... Um, I wonder if, if it was just for the human eye or equipment to trick equipment. Probably I both. Yeah. I mean, people had... <laughs> oh, I see land. They're away. I see London. I see France. So I just want to make sure that things are happening over here. Okay, yes, we're good. So anyway, so the disruptive camouflage. So Edward Wadsworth III actually painted these ships and he oversaw the painting of the ships. And if you Google, please do yourself a favor and look at both Edward Wadsworth paintings of Dazzle ships and look up photos of those ships. It is the coolest thing in the world mm-hmm. um, for that era. Yeah. It's so, it, it looks almost like 80s. Yeah. Like an 80s notebook. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't look World War One at all. Yeah. Very angular. Um, well, I think at that time, though, too, like a lot of a lot of art was being very you know with dada and all that other stuff like that was all going on around the same time that's true a lot of people did stripey stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah applying it to the ships and then doing paintings of the ships it's just so cool um anyway look that up um the initial sleeve was gatefold which opened to show a map of the world with a series of holes. So we're taking taking the record out. Wait, let me take a picture for the... I'm taking a photo right now for Instagrams. Mm-hmm. Special low price. <laughs> that, what was the price? What oh, was the price on that? There's nothing. It was, it was dead sock. Okay, so we're opening up. We're looking inside and we see a black map. With lots of lines, and it almost looks like an 8-bit style. Yeah. Here is the album sleeve. But then you switch... Which is some sort of a a nautical flag, meaning something. Yeah. Bring more beer. Very cool record, very cool origin story. It's just how everything correlates to each other and, like, talks to each other, like inset and on the outside and it doesn't matter how you put the record sleeve back in like Mm -hmm. it could be upside down or right side up it doesn't matter right because you could either get all yellow or you Mm -hmm. could get some orange Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah very visual for a podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah see you got you have the inverse on the on the inner sleeve um, and it says here that although OMD had now switched to Virgin Records um, following the collapse of Din Disc, which was the company that Seville had started called mm. Din Disc that didn't work out. Din Disc. Um, so there was a feeling that OMD would benefit from appearing to maintain an independent position. So that led to Dazzle Ships and the subsequent singles being issued on a made-up subsidiary that they called Telegraph, which is a name on the Dazzle Ships album. Yeah. Uh, song. Song name. So, um... Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
It was during a transitional phase. Yeah, so that brings us to, let's talk about the, we watched the YouTube. Um, if you're near a computer, well, maybe wait till after you finish listening. <laughs> but you should definitely watch this video, this interview. It's a very quick video. It's called Data Visualization Reinterpreted, the Story of Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures Album Design. Now that's a lot to type in. I bet if you just put data visualization reinterpreted, maybe then Joy Division, it will come up. Um, and I will put a link Google's on the website. Google's really good with that. Google's so good. Let me Google it for you. As uh, he explains in the YouTube, um, the uh, album cover Unknown Pleasures, which is the one we've been talking about um, with the... Um, sort of graph on it. Uh, It's linked to a figure in the Cambridge Encyclopedia of Astronomy from 1977. Very good year. And it is a stacked plot of radio signals from a pulsar. Not only that, it was the very first pulsar ever detected. And uh, what happened was a bunch of scientists put all got all these telescopes looked up into the sky and started getting a radio signal from a play a spot in the sky where it looked like there was nothing absolutely nothing so the first thought that they had was we are being contacted and so that full first pulsar was named LGM1 for little green men mm. It was then renamed after that, but they honestly were battling with how are we going to announce this? They were struggling with the morality of letting people know that that just reminded me of architecture and morality. Yeah. It's another good album cover by Seville. Oh, I should have, I almost brought that up. We have it upstairs. Yeah. We have, we have it. We have it. We yeah. have it. Wadsworth. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they, they basically were like, cause this was the first one. So they did, you know, anytime there's a first with outer space, you're like, is it aliens? I mean, that's what I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course they figure it out, but also the reason they thought it was intelligent life form was because the signals were coming in with such an accurate frequency. So it was happening at 1.337 seconds precisely. Um, and then they started, um, they used a machine that cut the wavelength. So picture like a machine making wave patterns on a piece of paper, but now picture it instead of uh, drawing a line that it cuts it out and all those cut out pieces of paper are put together, creating a, like a 3d rendering, uh, like a paper sculpture that looks like those radio waves. So that's what happened first, and then that diagram was drawn for the sake of that uh, Cambridge Encyclopedia. So the diagram, the drawing came after the 3D mm. rendering. Um, and then I was like, what's a pulsar? Um, it's a highly magnetized rotating neutron star or white dwarf that emits a beam of electromagnetic radiation. And it gives credit to the people um, on that Cambridge team who discovered it, Jocelyn Bell Burnell and Anthony Hewish, the third. (laughs) 
not really. Um, on November 28, 1967. Um, and it was the first one, like I said. So, yeah, if you look at that YouTube, another reason to watch it, it's not just a talking head interview with Peter Seville, but it also shows imagery of all the tattoo, all the um, Joy Division tattoos, baby onesies, ashtrays, mosaics, blah, blah, blah. Rugs. Rugs. What else? Um, Tuvets. 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 You can get a real nice faux hawk. <laughs> Sleeping bags, bicycles, you know, just all the things. Uh, mostly tattoos. Bloody ones, too. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of gross. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, we were also talking about how it, re- it reminds me of how once you design something, you put it out in the world, who knows? It, it's out of your hands, and the world could take it and turn it into koozies and a bunch of weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, a similar thing happened to the uh, design studio called Experimental Jet Set. They're the ones who did the original um, names listed in Helvetica with ampersands, like large type on the T-shirt, the first one was the names of the Beatles. John and Paul and Ringo and who? George. George. George and Ringo. This is they, always, they always put Ringo at the last. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I just saw that t-shirt at the end of Saturday Night Live where it listed uh, Farley and Sandler and rock and meadows and i was like yay tim meadows i'm so glad his name was included (laughs) wow but that was jonah hill was wearing it at the end of the episode and i was like he doesn't even i bet he doesn't know maybe he does but yeah well like we're kind of the same age yeah i think it's my my but i feel like if you're not in the design world well, I mean, that, that has become so ubiquitous. Yes, it's Because everywhere. it started that, with that, like, simple Helvetica, mm-hmm. and then just became what it is. I've seen it in Cooper it's, Black. Yeah. Ugh. But that's okay, because they celebrate it, too. Like, if you go to the Experimental Jet Set website, they, uh, they put photos. People send them photos. They're like, please tell us when you see it. Send us photos of every time you see it. Think they like it? Yeah. They put it on their website. I mean, yeah. Trucker hats and t-shirts. And <laughs> and now it's not even Helvetica. It's like, you know, yeah. aerial round. <laughs> I got a Neil Diamond shirt that says Neil fucking Diamond in Helvetica. Uh-huh. Just on the solid down. That's pretty good. Yeah. It was oh. actually Neil Merch from his website. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Well, it's, um, but it's pretty interesting because once you know that, once you know the origin story, you start noticing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start making your own. Mm-hmm. What what cereal did you eat out of your? <laughs> <laughs> so back to my, me eating cereal. Yes. We're just going to go back to that uh, for one second. What time? I, I don't even remember. What was it? Oh, it's Fruity Pebbles. Of course it was Fruity Pebbles. Because it's small and it's, like, maneuverable. So, like, yeah. I was able to, like, someone into my belly button. Oh. Because I got a little 
Can you imagine if it was like frosted shredded wheat? Yeah, like the big you ones? Don't, you don't do that. <laughs> I mean, there's one shredded wheat getting no, totally there's, soaked. There's nothing but, oh yeah, look at this guy who's just gnawing on this giant shredded biscuit. <laughs> So fun, <laughs> intertwined like a it shredded has to be colored biscuit. like a rainbow, and like small little bits going everywhere and pouring all over That's everywhere. So fun! You should keep confetti in there, <sighs> just for times like these. Uh, I, I'm I'm dealing with a just a small little patch of chest hair in there all the time. Okay, yeah, well, it's enough to deal with. Yeah, in today's world. Any uh, DJ nights? Anything else to promote? I am. Well, I am, let's say, I have a solo show at Party Hat in okay. January. This is in Seattle. This is in Seattle. For you listening who are not, if you do come to town. It's going to be the first Thursday of January okay. um, in Pioneer Square in the TK Lofts building. Oh, I love that building. Yeah. Yeah, we just went to Art Walk there. Yeah. It was great. We saw a bunch of um, risograph prints. Yeah. What else? I don't have a sign-off. Do you have a um, suggestion? <laughs> Besides just... Keep on rocking in the free world and... No! That's taken. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Come on, Nardwar, Sue us. Do it. Do it. Uh,